Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Praise the Lord. It's good to be here today. It's good to be in here in His presence. And I have uh, really, really enjoyed getting into the subject that we've been on for, we've done it for nine weeks on the Holy Spirit, the, the third person of the Trinity, the, the third personality of the Trinity. Um, of course, we believe in one God, one God, three distinct parts. And the Holy Spirit isn't always talked about as much as, as the other parts of the Godhead. And it, it's been very interesting going all the way through from Genesis up until, you know, today we're going to talk about the, the day of, of Pentecost. And... Um, Last week, I got into the pivotal moment when Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. And this was on the eve of the very same day that he was resurrected. And then we looked at Acts 1 and talked about how he met with his disciples over the next 40 days. And on one of those occasions, he told them to go wait for the promise of the Father, which we know was the Holy Spirit. So at, at, on the same day he rose from the dead, he said to his disciples, he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm just one to believe that when Jesus breathes on you and says, receive ye the Holy Spirit, that you actually receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, that makes sense to me, right? He spoke the world into existence. He is the word of God in the flesh. And when God speaks, creative things happen. That, that, that's just, it, it's just automatic for us to believe that when he said, it should be automatic, that when he said, receive ye the Holy Spirit, that they received it in that moment. And they did. But then he told them at a later time, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit, which is a little confusing. It's a peculiar thing to say because he'd already breathed on them. And we talked about that as being the Holy Spirit deposited within them, just like when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. How many know you get the Holy Spirit when you get saved? You get him. There's no way you could be saved without him. And we know that that's the truth. Everyone who receives him gets this deposit. The Holy Spirit is, a, is, is every believer's paraclete, or parakletos is the Greek word, which is most often translated helper. And we went over that word last week, helper, or parakletos, and, and helper is a good translation for it, but it doesn't quite do it justice. This word parakletos is more completely defined as one who is summoned, one who is called to another's side or to one's aid, one who pleads another's cause before a judge, a pleader, a counselor for defense, a legal assistant, an advocate, an intercessor. That is the Holy Spirit that's been deposited in us on the day that we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That was deposited. He was deposited within us, the Holy Spirit, and he became our paraclete, our parakletos our great helper and advocate, the one who pleads our cause to the judge. And all these are, are the result of the Holy Spirit being deposited into our hearts at the, at the point of salvation. And as wonderful and awesome as that truth is, this morning I have the privilege of telling you that there's more. <laughs> there's more. We've been singing about it all morning. I want more, I want more, I want more. And, you know, it's a little dark. And so uh, as I look across the crowd, as we're singing that up here, I want more. I, I, you know, I don't always see everybody's true feeling. Um, again, I don't want to insult Iowans because I happen to be one. Uh, but sometimes we're a little stoic. And we, we, uh, we stand there, I want more, I want more. You know, if you want more, notify your face. Right? Man, desperate for more of God. Crying out to him because you want all that he has to offer. I want more, I want more. I mean, just look at your neighbor and say, I want more. I want more. I mean, look at your neighbor and convince them that you want more. I mean, do you? Turn to the other neighbor and say, I want more. Wake yourself up a little bit. Church. There's more. There is more. 
There is more than just that, and that is awesome to have, but there's more. It's exciting and it's wonderful. Yeah, right. You were here last week. <laughs> That's I ones going crazy. Woo! Right? Jesus gave them this gift, the deposit of the Holy Spirit. He gave them the helper, and yet he said, go wait for the promise of the Father. That promise is what I want to get into today. It was the absolute outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and it was so significant that when it was poured out, the result was the beginning of the church that is still going strong today. Amen. That's what happened that day. The day the Holy Spirit was poured out on those 120 believers who were seeking, praying, and waiting for the promise of the Father was the same day the church began. And this morning, I, I want to look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, and I want to pull out a few truths that are important to us as Pentecostal believers. Church, this is a Pentecostal church, right? What does that mean? It means that we believe that there is an experience, and you can write this down, we believe that there is an experience that is distinct from and subsequent to the experience of salvation. Amen. That's what being a Pentecostal church means. We believe that there is an experience, again, that is distinct from and subsequent to the experience of accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when you call upon the name of the Lord and you receive him into your heart, when you believe in him and his death and resurrection as ransom payment, as the, as the ransom payment to pay for your sins, you are saved. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit is deposited into your spirit man. I know I'm repeating myself, but I'm doing that on purpose because I don't want to be accused of anything else. We believe you get the Holy Spirit when you get saved and you are born again. And for many evangelical denominations that do not consider themselves Pentecostal, that's it. And to be honest, that is all you need to go to heaven. But as Pentecostal believers, there's more. There's more. We believe there's an experience that is distinctly different from and subsequent to the salvation experience, and it's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I want to look at the scripture, and we're going to get into teaching a little bit. I'm going to get into some Greek words today. I want you to hang on to your, your hats a little bit. Okay, because I'm, we're going to go fairly quick, and I want you to see that Scripture just, just, just teaches this so plainly. It's so easy to see when you dive in. But Acts 2.1, the first part of it, I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible today, and it says, When the day of Pentecost had come, the day of Pentecost, it is not just by happenstance that the Holy Spirit was poured out on that specific day. This was exactly seven weeks after the resurrection of Jesus, counting the day of Easter or the day of resurrection, it's 50 days after Jesus was raised from the dead. 50 days, Pentecost, right? You understand how that works. Now in the Jewish calendar, this day coincides, the same day on, on the calendar, coincides with the Feast of Weeks or the Shavuot. Everybody say Shavuot. Shavuot, that is the festival or the feast of weeks. And this feast was primarily a thanksgiving for the first fruits of the wheat harvest. But it was later associated with the remembrance of the law given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now I want to look at some parallels here real quick between these two events. Moses receiving the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai and the, and the law given to him and, and, the, and, the ten, and the day of Pentecost, okay? There's parallels between the two and they happened at the very same time just 1,200 years apart. The very same day, 1,200 years apart. Many people don't know this, but when you get into it, it's very significant. First of all, some parallels. Both events happened on a mountain. Mount Sinai, of course, was the, the law given to Moses. Mount Zion in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit was given. Both of these are referred to as the mountain of God. It's just an interesting fact. Number two, both events happened to people that had just been redeemed. The Hebrew people had just been delivered from the, from, from the slavery in Egypt, and their exodus marked the birth of the Israelite nation. They had, they had just had the first Passover feast, 
And 50 days later, they received the Torah or the law or the, the teachings of God. The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament, by the way. Followers of Christ had just witnessed Jesus, this is the parallel, their Passover lamb die on the cross as well as his resurrection. 50 days later on the day of Pentecost, they received the Holy Spirit. Same day, 1,200 years apart. Not by accident. God knew back when he was giving Moses the law on Mount Sinai that in Jerusalem, a city that didn't even exist yet, Mount Zion, the mountain of God, where the temple was, he knew that he would be pouring out his Holy Spirit there 1,200 years later. See, we serve a God who sees past, all of the past, all of the present, and all the future, and he sees it all at once. We serve such a big God that we have no reason to worry or have anxiety or to fall apart when, when something doesn't go our way. Our God is so big, he sees it all, church. And it's important that you understand that. The third parallel I want to point out is the Israelites left Egypt on Passover, and 40 days later, they arrived at Sinai. Then Moses went up on the mountaintop. He went on the mountain to see God, and 10 days later, Moses came down with the Torah, and the Israelites broke the, broke the covenant. We know that. They were sinning, and 3,000 people died as a result. That's what the Word of God says in Exodus. Jesus died here's the parallel jesus died on passover and 40 days later went up on a mountain to see god the mount of olives 10 days after jesus ascended the holy spirit came down and 3000 people were saved <laughs> i mean that's amazing the same day 1200 years apart and again both events took place at the same time and in the same month 50 days after sacrificing the Passover lamb, the Israelites received a covenant from God. 50 days after sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus, him dying on the cross, our Passover lamb, believers received a new covenant from God. Both events had similar sounds and, and symbols, uh, wind, fire, smoke, voices. It's interesting that the Hebrew word translated thunder and exodus you know, the, the Israelites were at the, the, the foot of, of Mount Sinai and they heard thunder and they, they saw it and brought, they, they feared. It was, it was unbelievable. The thunderous sound they heard. That word in the, in the Hebrew is kol. It's, it's kol, K-O-L-E, and which carries with it the idea of voices or languages. It's very interesting. So thunderous sounds terrified the Israelites as they stood at the base of Mount Sinai, and this would be the, the translated voices or languages. It, it could be, and it correlates with the sound of 120 people speaking in unknown tongues, but we'll get to all that in a minute. It's, it's just an interesting thing. Another parallel, the fire at Sinai was the fire, was, was one fire visible by all. The fire at Pentecost was individual fires on every person in the event at Mount Sinai, the people were kept away from the fire, but in Acts, the fire came to the people. In both events, God gave his Torah, his teaching, his law to his people, and in both cases, he sealed the covenant that he made with them. At Sinai, he gave them the, written, uh, the law written by his finger on tablets of stone. At Pentecost, he gave the law written on tablets of the heart. There are so many parallels between these two events, it's unreal, 1,200 years apart, and it's fun to get in and just discover them as you read God's word. Here's another one, that I, and I had never seen this before, but both of these events included a mixed multitude of people being present. In Exodus 12, 38, it says this in reference to the Israelites leaving Egypt. Exodus 12, 38, a mixed multitude of non-Israelites from foreign nations also went with them along with both flocks and herds, a very large number of livestock. In the Acts 2 event, verse 5 tells us this, Acts 2, 5, there, now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout and God-fearing men from every nation under heaven. Both events had, had, had people from all nations, devout people from all 
nations. It's interesting. There are, there, there's nine parallels I just gave you. There are tons more. It's amazing how this day was so planned by God and how it correlated exactly with Moses receiving the law. And I challenge you to get in the word and discover some of these yourself because it is it just blows your mind. It's just like one thing after another, after another, after another. You're like, how much more evidence do we need that this day was huge, that this day was incredibly important? Acts 2, 1b, let's continue on with that. When the day of Pentecost had come, God waited for that specific day. It says this, they were all together in one place. That phrase together in one place is from the Greek word hamathamadon hamathamadon and it means more than just being together in the same location some people say why do you always bring up these other words these words in the in the original Greek or the original Hebrew why do you do that because sometimes full meaning is lost in translation or it's lost because we have an idea of what the word means now and we try to take today's definition and apply it to yesterday's word it's important to go back and look at what that word really meant. And hamathamadon is, is one of those words. It says they were together in one place. They were all together in one place. That's the English version. And we think, oh yeah, they were all together. Like we're all together in one place right here, right? It's more than that. Hamathamadon tells you that. It literally means with one accord, one mind, with one passion. It speaks of unity. And if Hamathamadon, I had to practice that word, by the way. If Hamathamadon occurred here in our setting, what would that look like? It would look like a congregation of people that were assembled on a Sunday morning like this that were in complete unity, that had the same passion, the same drive, the same goals, they had one mind, they're in one accord, and I'm not talking about a car. They're together. Not just together, they're together. You get the difference? They were together in one mind. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I've ever experienced Hamathamadan in a church service. Maybe a couple moments of it. I know we come in here, we're unified, and that's great to some extent, but, but one mind, one passion? What if his church really did that came in with one mind one thing on their heart one goal to worship god to seek his face passionate about going after him worshiping him in spirit and in truth what would happen all heaven would break loose we talk about our own lives sometimes when all hell breaks loose in our lives Man, we're victorious Christians. We should be walking around with all heaven breaking loose wherever we go. Amen. That's what brings that, that homothomadon, that unity, that oneness, one mind, one passion. And these 120 believers that were waiting for the promise of the Father, they were completely, completely unified. And make note of that. If there is to be a true move of God and an outpouring of His Spirit, disunity has to be removed from the equation, church. I believe this is the very reason that we see a decline in the move of the Spirit within the American church. There is so much disunity. And remember, unity doesn't mean sameness. It means agreement. And as Americans, with all the freedom we have been pampered with, it's like we enjoy disagreeing. I mean, think about it. It's easier to find disagreement than it is to find agreement regarding just about anything. Social media has not helped us. It creates a place where keyboard warriors can bloviate their opinions with little or zero accountability. That's a term I learned recently, keyboard warriors. It's free speech, yes, and free speech is wonderful, but without accountability, free speech destroys itself. Free speech unchecked in the name of free speech will eventually destroy free speech. Personal responsibility and accountability are a necessity in preserving freedom of speech. There's always gotta be personal responsibility and accountability. And church, unity is worth fighting for. It requires laying down your right to be right sometimes. 
It requires agreeing to disagree sometimes for the sake of the gospel going forth. If we want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our nation, in our church, in our lives, we must be willing to set aside opinions and major on the majors that we can build bridges with people and not just toss unity to the wind by majoring on the minors and those things that don't really matter. Do you know how stupid some of the minute details are that separate the church today? I mean, small things. And they completely separate the church into denominations sometimes. And those things sometimes don't even matter. You know, what really matters more than, than us being, being saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and going out and winning others to Christ and, and seeing that they can discover this, this filling, this, this infilling of the Holy Spirit as well? What, what more matters than that? Than lives changed and people's lives touched in the name of Christ. Paul said it this way, I resolved to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. I mean, go, go bicker over there if you want. I got business to do. There's a whole world dying and going to hell in a handbasket if the church doesn't rise up and do something about it. Oh no, but we are over here bickering about who's right. Get over yourselves, right? Let's get over ourselves and go do the business of God. Yeah. Amen. It's like that lady who talked about bronchitis. I ain't got time for that. I don't know if you've seen that video. That's what we should say about bickering and fighting and, and stupid little differences in the church. I ain't got no time for that. I'm busy, I got stuff to do. Unity matters. And as most of you know, when God sees unity in his people, he commands his blessings onto those people. You can read it in Psalm 133. And think of unity as a prerequisite to the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. What does Indianola, Iowa need? What does Warren County need? What does your school need? What does Truro need? What does Norwalk need? The surrounding towns in Warren County. What do all those towns need? What do we need in the state of Iowa? What do we need in this nation? What do we need for things to change? Is it the, the, the church to, to rise up and get involved politically? And I'm not putting that down at all, but that's not the answer. I was driving around town yesterday a little bit, and I drove by uh, uh, Corey Keller's house. I honked my horn, but you didn't come out and see me or anything. But you, you have a sign in your yard that I almost stopped and took a picture of it. What does it say? Jesus 2020. Jesus 2020. It's a political sign, yeah. I loved it. Because he is the answer. What we need in this state, in this nation, in this county, in our city, in the surrounding communities, we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. We need that outpouring to see things change. That is what the church is supposed to be doing ushering that in because of their unity, because of their one-mindedness, their one passion, their one goal. Man, if we only had Hamathamadan, we would see outpouring after outpouring. Acts 2 Okay, that's the, first word. that's the first verse in Acts. We just got done with verse one. We're gonna go to Acts two, two through four A, real quickly. And suddenly, okay, so when the day of Pentecost had come and they were all together in one place, and you know what together means. And suddenly a sound came from heaven like a rushing, violent wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues resembling fire, which were being distributed among them, and they rested on each of them as each person received the Holy Spirit. We talked about some of those things when I was talking about the parallels of Mount Sinai and, and the day of Pentecost. They rested, each one of those, those single flames, they rested on each one of them as each person received the Holy Spirit. And these guys had already received the Holy Spirit 
in the deposited salvation kind of way, but this was something more and something different. This was a distinct experience. And it says in verse 4, and they were all, that's all 120 of them, they were all filled, that is, diffused throughout their being, totally saturated, if you will. They were baptized in, totally dunked with the Holy Spirit. I want to zero in on that phrase in verse 4, and they were all filled. Filled is translated from the Greek word plerao, plerao. And this word doesn't just mean to fill. We think of fill, we say, yeah, fill it, you know. It carries with it the idea of filling all the way up, to make full, to fill to the brim or to the top. It means to furnish or supply liberally. It means to complete so that nothing shall be wanting. It means full measure, to, com to make complete in every particular, to render perfect or to be perfectly filled. It's the full measure of accomplishing or carrying out some undertaking. It's more than just, yeah, fill. Fill it. Fill my cup, Lord. It's filling it all the way, filling it completely, making sure it's full to the brim, that there's nothing lacking whatsoever. That's important because when Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit on those 120 believers in the upper room that day, the day of Pentecost, something marvelous happened. They were filled all the way, completely filled. To the brim. Not a little dabble, do you? They were filled. Plerao. Plerao. This was a completion of the filling, a baptism in the third personality of the Godhead, the fullness of the hagios pneuma. We use that word a lot through this series, which is the, the, the holy, awe-inspiring spirit of the living God. Ephesians 5.18 uses this word, uh, plerao, again. Do, do not get drunk with wine, for that is wickedness, corruption, stupidity. <laughs> Maybe I'll read that again. Do not get drunk with wine... Or beer or whiskey or Jack Daniels or vodka or any other thing like that or any other drug for that is wickedness it's corruption stupidity right on how many have experienced a little of that stupidity in your own life how many are redeemed Woo! <laughs> amen says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit and consistently guided by him. What if as a church, what if as people of God, as Pentecostal believers, we decided that we didn't need to be full of things like alcohol or drugs or nicotine or food for that matter or entertainment from the, the TV or, or whatever it is that's tickling our fancy, tickling our flesh, what if we didn't get full of those things, but we were full of the Holy Spirit? What if we got drunk in the Holy Spirit? What if we were intoxicated with the Holy Spirit? You know, we, we say intoxicated and drunk because alcohol is a mind-altering drug. It alters your state of mind. What if we were drunk in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit altered our mind? Whoa. Would we be different? Paul exhorts believers here to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is the same word, plerao. And it carries with it the idea that it's not a one-time filling, but a continual filling. And some Bible scholars say that a more correct way of interpreting this verse would be to say, be being filled. Be in the state of always being filled or in a constant state of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I watch weird documentaries. Anybody ever do that? I watched one about Andre the Giant recently. Interesting guy. And there was a guy that said that the man was, he was, he was probably the world's greatest drinker. I don't know what that means. I don't know if I'd use the word great. 
but they saw him drink 106 beers in one night. And he was drunk. He got drunk that way. He would often drink six bottles of wine just to start with. And later, it was that, wasn't that he was such an alcoholic, it was that he was in extreme pain because of his physical condition, and that's how he medicated with alcohol. It's the only way he could, he's, he, it's really he self-medicated with alcohol. And I, I think about drinking, and first of all, spending that much money. <laughs> I mean, what does one beer cost? What? Nobody wants to say it, because you'll know I'll know. <laughs> That's what these altars are for. Yeah. Yeah. What's a beer cost? 375. 375. Domestic. <laughs> Multiply that by 106. That's an expensive night of drinking. I don't care who you are or how much money you have. But what if we thought of the equivalent of that in the Spirit and we drank in that much of the Holy Spirit? A continual being filled, never stop being filled. And here's the cut to the chase of what I'm saying. If the word of God says, be being filled continually, and our proclivity as Christian people is to hang our hats on the one experience that we had with the filling of the Holy Spirit back in 1975 or whatever it is. That's kind of what we do, don't we? I was filled with the Spirit back 35, 45 years ago. The word of God says, be being filled I love that. I love that saying, if your testimony is over two weeks old, get a new one. Are we actually doing, are we actually avoiding that filling of the Holy Spirit in a continual way? Is it, are we avoiding it because of some, some subconscious uh, pride that we have? Like, in other words, to not seek the filling of the Holy Spirit every day is to say that we were filled that one time, but we've got it from here. I've got this, God. Thank you for filling me. I'm, I'm good to go for a few weeks now. I'm good to go for a few months. I'm good to go for a few years. See, this is why it's so important that you understand the deeper meaning in these scriptures, to take it back to original language for the purpose of understanding more fully. You've got to understand more fully. Be in a constant state of play rao, the total filling, the complete filling. Be in that constant state. God went through the trouble of not only depositing his Holy Spirit within us when we get saved, he is ready, willing, and able to pour out his Spirit into us continually so that we may be constantly filled. And yet so often we fill ourselves with everything else we can find. Am I preaching truth there? That might not be an amen moment. That might be an oh me moment. In fact, let's take it a step further. You have the Holy Spirit when you get saved. When you receive the outpouring or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, those are the moments that the Holy Spirit has you. This is the difference between those two events. Jesus breathing on them, saying, receive you the Holy Spirit. It was deposited. You as a believer, have, a whole, have the Holy Spirit now. But when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's when the Holy Spirit has you. It's a big difference. That's when you place him in the total driver's seat. It's an experience that is distinct and subsequent to salvation and the Holy Spirit deposit that we receive back then when we accept Christ. It's, it's subsequent to it. It's distinct from it. And it's totally awesome, and it's incredibly vital for us. Last part, Acts 2, 4b, the last part of verse 4. It says, And they began to speak in other tongues, which is different languages, 
as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out clearly and appropriately. The phrase, speak in other tongues, has confused people, scared people, and even caused some Christians to feel so uncomfortable that they choose just to skip over it and explain it away by saying, it was only for then and is no longer for us today. Which, by the way, the Bible never says. Can't find that anywhere in the Word of God. The word speak, speak in other tongues, the word speak is from the Greek word laleo, laleo, laleo. And it means to utter a voice or emit a sound, to speak or talk, to utter or tell, to use words in order to declare one's mind and disclose one's thoughts. Speak, right? The word tongues, speak in other tongues, is from the Greek word glossa, and it means tongue. That's simple enough, right? A member of the body, an organ of speech. It also means the language or dialect used by a particular people distinct from that of other nations. The people of, like for instance, the people of that foreign nation speak in a different tongue or dialect than, than us, a different language, a different tongue. When you put these two words together, laleo and glossa, you get the phrase, speak in tongues. You get the word, uh, <laughs> I've got to say this right, glossolalia, glossolalia. And this can be defined as speaking words that are unlearned by conventional means. When you speak in a foreign tongue because you've learned the language, when you speak in a foreign tongue because you've learned the language, it's not the same thing as a glossolalia. Because gloss, glossa implies it's a foreign tongue. If you speak in a foreign tongue, it can be an earthly uh, language or a heavenly spiritual language. It is an unlearned language by definition. So to, so to speak in tongues is to use this member of the body, the tongue, to speak languages that you've never learned naturally. That's what I'm getting to. Just break down the words, and that's what it means. And these believers in the upper room praying and seeking God in total unity, waiting for the promise, experienced the sound of a mighty rushing wind. They, they saw the individualized flames of fire coming to rest over each of them. They were filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit. And the next thing that happened is they began to speak in articulate and appropriate. They did it articul articulately and appropriately in languages that they had never learned before. And this is what started the church. This was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This was the promise of the Father being fulfilled. And make no mistake, speaking in tongues was considered a sign or an evidence throughout the book of Acts. Throughout, in, in, in the early believers, they considered it a sign that the Holy Spirit was being poured out. Speaking in tongues was the gauge, not for salvation, but for knowing that the Holy Spirit was being poured out and that the baptism in the Holy Spirit was actually happening in that moment. Amen. Read the book of Acts. It's all the way through there. And I've gone through that before in different sermons, but I uh, won't do that today. But if you want more on that, I can certainly make an appointment. We'll talk all about it. So, so what is the purpose of being filled with the Holy Spirit? The sign of, of the evidence of speaking in tongues. What, what, what's the purpose of being filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit, immersed in him? And I want to take you back to Acts 8.1, or 1.8, I'm sorry, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses which is to tell people about me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even the ends of the earth. The primary purpose, church, of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is to bring the personal boldness and power of God's Spirit into a Christian's life so he or she can accomplish Christ's purposes with his authority. It's for power to witness. And I have to say that so clearly because in some Pentecostal circles, how many know that, that Pentecostals are human too? They are, and they mess up. And they get caught up sometimes in the emotion of things, and we don't want that. We, we always have to remember the whole purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for power to witness, power to share Christ. Amen. And sometimes these Pentecostal circles will get together, and they just want to talk in tongues to each other. It's not wrong to speak in tongues. 
It's not wrong to hear a, a word in tongues given in a congregation. We're going to get into the gifts of the Spirit in the next couple of weeks. And, and I'm going to go through each one of those gifts of the Spirit. There's a proper time and a proper way and all that kind of stuff. There's order to God's worship. But, but understand, there's a lot of people who get freaked out when you start talking about speaking in tongues. Oh, you're those weirdos. I've heard people say, oh, you're those snake handlers. No. That's people who maybe went way too far. Those Pentecostals are weirdos. Anybody ever hear that? They're crazies. Why? Because we want to be full of the Spirit? No, they think we're crazies because there's been groups of Pentecostals in the past that went crazy with it. Okay? I like the term balanced Pentecost. Not controlled, because God's in control of that. But balanced, understanding the purpose and the meaning and the whys. It's power to witness. We just read it, Acts 1.8. There's other purposes as, or, or results, if you want to call them that, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they are, I've got 10 of them here. One, prophetic messages and declarations of praise may come forth from individuals who are baptized in the Holy Spirit. I mean, just, just, it just comes out of you where you have to declare the praises of God and you can't hardly hold it back. A greater sensitivity to the things that offend God and grieve His Holy Spirit. That happens when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. To a greater, it's a greater sensitivity to those things. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, a deeper awareness of God's judgment against sin occurs. I've seen people who are full of the Spirit of God, and as someone else does something in the church, a Christian brother or sister does something, they literally, this other person will literally weep for them because they know the judgment of God is coming upon them. They're sensitive to it. They're sensitive to it. There's a heightened desire and ability to do what's right when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. If you struggle with sin, especially if you're caught in a particular sin and, and you're just, you just can't get out from underneath of it and it seems like you keep falling to it and you keep falling to it and you keep falling to it and you can't break free and you're just, you, you know, you're miserable. You're, you're a defeated Christian all the time and you're sick and tired of it. Get baptized in the Holy Spirit because there's power to overcome that. Let me tell you something. It's really hard to witness to people and, and, and see them become free in Christ when you're back here and then change yourself. And the power of, of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is so that you can witness freely. It will help you break those chains. It helps. There's a heightened desire from within to, and ability to do what's right. Um, number five, new visions and, and comprehensions of God's purposes. You're gonna, you're gonna just see what God's doing more clearly the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number six, a more active use of, of the various gifts of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Jared and I talk about this a lot. Do you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to be used in the gifts? And I, I think there's instances where, where people maybe weren't. But I can tell you this for sure. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're going to be heightened. You're going to have a heightened awareness to it and a sensitivity to the Spirit, and you'll probably be used more in the gifts than, than if you weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit. A greater desire to pray. I mean, sometimes I think as Christians, we, we, we go into a prayer room and we're like, or we go to our prayer closet or we, we want to have a time with God and we just like, now what am I supposed to do? I don't really get it. We get it when we're giving our 911 prayers, right? The old emergency prayers. But we don't always get it on a daily basis. You'll have a greater desire to pray. You'll have a deeper understanding and a greater love for God's word when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. A deeper understanding. God will show you things and you'll have a, just a heightened awareness. Wow, that fits together. Wow, that happens here, that happens there. There's a parallel here. And you'll love God's word. Number nine, you'll have a more comprehensive understanding of God as our loving Father. And with the absence of father and fathers in society today, godly men who, who, uh, who, who take the place of, of father and husband seriously, there's an absence of that in our culture. Boy, how important is it that we understand God the Father as our heavenly Father, our loving Father. Not only to produce in us that are men to be fathers, and good ones and understand how to do that through him, but also for those that don't have fathers, they have one, 
right? A perfect one. Number 10, a greater desire within your heart to truly worship him. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're baptized into the Holy Spirit, you will just not, I mean, something about it, you want to worship more. I've told this story before, but we had a real move of God when I was up in South Dakota, and I think the church in general did back in the mid-90s. The, the, the church across America had a little bit of revival fire flowing, and we need revival fire again, church. We do. But there was a little bit of revival fire flowing, and one night we were worshiping in the church, and there was a congregation of probably 100 people that night, maybe a few more, 120, and we were worshiping, and we were worshiping, and all of a sudden, we, uh, we were silent. There was a holy silence that came over the congregation. And that can be just as worshipful as, you know, loud drums and music and clanging cymbals. As the Bible puts it, the shouting praise. This was a silence that came across, a holy hush. And I was sitting there and everybody, everybody was just like, we were just in awe of God. You could feel his presence. You knew he was there. It, it, just, it just was, it was an awesome time. And I remember um, thinking, wow, no babies are crying. There's no movement. There's no papers rustling. You could hear nothing the whole time. And I'm like, that is just amazing. And we were like there for like maybe three minutes. Just holy hush. And that, how many know that that's an eternity when, when you're sitting there in silence? But nobody cared. It was just this holy moment that everybody was sensitive to. There was, a, there was that unity that one passion, that one likeness, that one-mindedness, and it ushered in this, this holy hush. I went back on the tape later, and that holy hush was over 15 minutes long. Blew me away. I th I, it was like, I thought I was only there like three minutes, maybe even two. But it, it, was, it was over 15 minutes long, and nobody made a move, nobody made a sound. And I looked out in the congregation, and people were weeping, and people were just experiencing God putting his arms around them and hugging them and holding them. There was healing going on. There was deliverance going on. There was deep surgery of the heart going on, all in the silence. Because you know what? When it really comes down to it, it's not about anything we all do. It's about what he does in us. I mean, you can... I'm not dissing any kind of counseling whatsoever because I think counseling is very important, but I could counsel somebody all day long and one touch from God will do more than all the counseling I could ever give. I'm just being honest. That doesn't dismantle the, the reason or the need for counselors or counseling, not at all. There are reasons for us to seek and desire the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I love fast cars. I don't own one. But I've ridden in some very fast, throw your head back and pin you to the seat cars. It's a rush. Have you seen or heard of NOS being installed in a car? Nitrous oxide systems. They inject nitrous oxide directly into the engine of the car that, and they, they, at, at the push of a button, you hit that NOS button, boom. And this increases power and speed immediately in the car. I've never been in a car that's had that, but I've seen it on TV, it's pretty amazing. I think, Eric, you have that in your car, don't you? <laughs> I, I, at least you used to. Maybe took it out because you love your wife. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is like a NOS system for your Christian walk. It's installed or available to any person that has accepted Christ. It's a button that can be pushed over and over again to supercharge your faith as you are in that constant state of being filled. Yet so many Christians settle for, I'm, I'm saying this carefully, understand what I'm saying here, they settle for just being saved. Don't get me wrong, being saved is everything, okay? But I may go big or go home kind of guy. And if we're going to do this Christianity thing, why not go big and hit the NOS button God has installed for us? I mean, if it's there, why not hit it? Right? 
I mean, it'd be like driving a car around or racing somebody and you don't even use the button? Are you crazy? Why not earnestly seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's a gift that he provided for us so that we could be successful as we walk through our journey of faith. And I want to challenge you this morning to come forward and, and, and make the front of this platform your altar today. Come forward as your, as your act of faith and decision to seek him and the baptism in his Holy Spirit that he offers. You don't seek tongues, you seek the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's important to understand that. And I want to take some time today to pray with you. And we'll stay as, as long as we need to to pray and as you seek the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And whether you have really just, if you really just need a refilling or if you need to experience this for the first time, I want to invite you to come forward today. And if you need to leave today, please feel free to do so. We love you and we're so glad that you joined us today. If you're watching online and you need to be filled and you, or you need to be refilled, <coughs> trust God. You know, as the service ends on your device, I, I challenge you just to bow your head and pray and ask God to, to, uh, to fill you to, to the brim with his Holy Spirit, to, to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. You know, that can happen anywhere, anytime. It doesn't have to happen in church. There's nothing magical about it. Just pray, ask, and believe. And for those that want to come down to be prayed for this morning, would you just bow your heads? Would we all just bow our heads? I'm going to pray, and if, if, if you are one that just wants a refilling, if you want to be filled for the first time, maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that's a, that's a prerequisite to this. You've got to do that first. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you're welcome to come down too and just tell us as we pray for you, hey, I need to, I need to accept Jesus as my Savior. We're happy to lead you in a prayer that, that does just that. But Lord Jesus, I thank you for this congregation. This congregation who desires hamathamadan, unity, one passion, being in one accord, having one purpose, just to seek your face and seek an outpouring of your Holy Spirit like this area has never seen before. God, I ask you to move in the hearts of people today, that you would pour your spirit out upon them as we pray for them. And God, we will give you all the glory, all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.